names up on the clipboard. Um, I think the dregs was one. The iconoclasts. The iconoclasts was another. Um, the cave was one. Uh, and scum of the earth was there. That was suggested by Reese Roper. And he says, I always thought scum of the earth would be a great name for a group like this. And I think it's in the Bible someplace. <laughs> I'm going, I can look around the room and see like a little fire starting to kindle in everybody's eyes. Like, yeah, scum of the earth. And I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you where it is. You got to go find it. All right. And, and we're going to pray about this for a week before we name the church. And I remember praying, God, please don't let him name it scum of the earth. Because I have to raise my own support. And I cannot see letterhead going out in an envelope that says, please support me with scum of the earth church. I thought, this is never going to fly. And so uh, we came back the next week and it was like a done deal, like, it was called Scum of the Earth Church. It was like almost 100% they wanted it. And as I've said many times before, letting them call this church Scum of the Earth Church was the best decision I never made. I mean, it's a great name. It reaches out and grabs people by the throat, and it shakes them around. And little old ladies say, You're not the scum of the earth. Why would you call yourselves that? God loves you. And other people go, scum of the earth church? Really? I could go to a church like that. So that's going on for 20 years. All right, Nat, I'm going to hand it over to you. So um, I'm Mike Sayers. This is my wife, Mary. And, uh, hi, Astrid. <laughs> They're having deep conversations. So, you know, I remember uh, just after we started getting together, I had a dream one morning and uh, it was kind of weird, um, but Mary and I were on the campus of some old university, and we were walking around, and there was this building that was kind of domed uh, on the campus of the university, and it was kind of, it was bulging, you know, like that. And I thought, something's going to happen, so I said, Mary, let's, let's climb up this hill so we can see what's going to happen. And so we climbed up this hill, and, and this building burst open, and like this giant wave of water comes pouring out and it starts making its way across the campus and you know down around uh, the lowlands and pretty soon it's like this river just flowing and uh, young people are are just having the greatest time they're like jumping in they're swimming around um, the front of it's kind of like rapids. They're surfing, yeah. There's some, uh, you know, near the back uh, where the water's slower who are in rafts and just kind of meandering along. And just, I thought, man, 
in the dream, I thought, this is so cool that Mary and I get to watch this happening. And, you know, I think that 20 years later, I, I think that dream has kind of come true. We've had a great time just watching people just frolic in the uh, kind of liquid love of God, you know, the... Uh, the washing waters of baptism, the the cleansing tide of his spirit as it comes across. And it was, uh, it's kind of been marvelous. Um, I'm going to uh, go back uh, to way before uh, Scum started, because I think this is kind of important. But we were back in Toledo, Ohio, Mary and I. We were raising kids. I think I had a job that I hated. I know I had a job that I hated. Just to make money, you know, just to make ends meet. And then I was volunteering as a youth director in this church. And I had taken some kids to this concert up in Michigan someplace. We were right on the border of Michigan and Ohio. And so this concert was up in Michigan. And so I, I took them up there. And it was some Christian band from some other city, and they're, you know, playing up near the front of the hall, and, you know, whatever, I'm in the back, just taking it easy. Kids are up in the front moshing, whatever they were doing. And uh, there's nobody around me. I mean, I was sitting by myself, and it was the, one of the weirdest experiences of my life, frankly. I, I heard this voice, and it was loud, but I knew it wasn't audible. It was in my head, and it was loud. It was not a thought. I know what thoughts feel like. This was loud. And the voice said, someday a band like that is going to come out of your ministry. And I remember thinking, what? And I, I thought, okay, I'm just going to look around just to make sure there's nobody else. And, of course, there was nobody around me. And I'm going... God, is that you? Or is that the pizza I had for lunch? Like, I, I don't know what is speaking to me right now. But that was it. End of transmission. And for the next 12 years, <laughs> you know, I'd see kids have garage bands that never got out of the garage. And if a couple kids got together and did a duet and they were pretty good, I was thinking, Lord, is this it? Is this what you were talking about? Nothing ever happened. We end up moving to Denver from Toledo, Ohio, so that uh, I could go to seminary. And um, it was a big, big move. Mary left a job she loved. She left her mom and her dad and brother and a sister who were there. Um, but I wanted to go to seminary and, and finally get in the ministry. I was 40 years old. And just by a stroke of luck, got, I don't believe in luck, but you know what I'm saying. I got this job at Corona Presbyterian Church as uh, the singles pastor, young adult singles pastor. And <laughs> one day, a couple young guys come, never saw them before, kind of punk looking guys. I went up and say, hey, my name's Mike. Welcome to Corona Press. Are you guys new here? 
And they introduced themselves and found out that they were in a band. Uh, one guy was a sound guy. One guy was the bassist for a band named Exumator, kind of a death metal band. They had a side project called Five Iron Frenzy. And say, yeah, we're going to have a concert coming up here. And I said, well, let me know where it is, and I'll come to the concert. They did not think I would attend, but I showed up. And it was amazing. There was an incomplete band in front of me, a ska band. And there were a bunch of kids there. The crazy thing is, you guys probably don't know this, but the venue, Stage South, was hosted and run by Larry Pombianco. He is the guy who got it going. And that's the first place that I saw Five Iron Frenzy play. And they weren't complete. They didn't have a trombone. They didn't have some other stuff. And so I thought, you know, one of the young guys at Corona, he's a trombone player back in college. I bet he could really do well with them. And so next concert I went to, I took him and another young guy from the Singles Young Adult Ministry. We're back there watching people skank. I mean, the, the floor is moving. People are skanking so hard. Also because the floor was about ready to cave in, but, you know, you didn't want to go in the basement and look up at it. Anyway, um, I, I turned to Dennis. I had to shout. You know how when you're at a concert and you're right next to somebody, but they can't hear you? And I said, hey, Dennis, <laughs> there's no trombone player. And Dennis looks at me and he goes, Mike, Trombone gigs are hard to come by. <laughs> and so then after the concert, I'm looking all over for Dennis. Can't find him. Finally, he comes to the car. I go, where have you been? He goes, I was talking to the band. I got an audition. <laughs> I'm going, you got an audition? I go, Dennis, I mean, you like you write music theory like you play at least three or four instruments that I know of. You don't need to audition for them. They need to audition for you. <laughs> but he goes, yeah, so Dennis joins the band, and uh, he's like the missing piece, right? Not only is he a trombone player, he becomes the arranger for the horn section and everything else, but he is their business manager. He is the only guy who knows how to handle money. He's got a degree in business from University of Denver. And so uh, Five Iron Frenzy just takes off, and they don't know what to do. They come to me, they go, Mike, we got this contract from this guy. He wants to sign us to his label. Could you take a look at it? I'm going, well, I know some people in Nashville. Let me run it by them. And so I do that, and then before I know it, I'm pretty much a default band manager. Mary's and I start hosting the band at our house. Mary would make dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's how Five Iron Frenzy took off. Now, one of the things we did in the living room of my house was, I said, okay, what do you guys want to do? Like, how do you want to be perceived? What's your mission? They go, we don't know. I go, well, you gotta have a mission statement. And so we did a mission statement for Five Iron Frenzy. Leonor used to tell me, Mike, we're the only band I know out there with a mission statement. I go, that's right. <laughs> but it shouldn't be that way. But they said, uh, we don't want to just be rock stars. We want to actually do some ministry. So they decided to have a Bible study. And so 
you know, they've talked about the Bible study, who's going to lead it, and it finally ended up over at the church at Corona. And so um, the church hosted the Five Iron Frenzy Bible study. Uh, this started in about 1995, 96, something like that. Yeah. Well, after a while, I'm, I'm thinking the, the, the Bible study is getting ingrown and that we should open it up to other people. And so I talked to Reese Roper, who's the lead singer and lyricist. I go, Reese, we should start a church service for the people who want to come and learn about more about Jesus from your concerts. And he thought that was a great idea. And then I said, yeah, but you got to help me. And he said, I'm not going to do that. I said, will you pray about it? He said, yeah, I'll pray about it for a year. And so we, he prayed for a year. And uh, a year later, we had a meeting at our house on February 2nd, 2000. 0202-2000. That was the first time people from the Bible study got together and talked about maybe forming some kind of church for the left out, for those who wouldn't feel comfortable in another church. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hand this over. Mary's going to tell you what she did to prepare for that night and how she decided to be uh, Miss Hospitality. So I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have dinner, right? Uh, what do I make for how many people? How many people? 20, whatever. A dozen. a dozen. Only a dozen. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going, oh, yeah, meatloaf. Oh, that sounds good. You just cut it and yeah. And then I went, no, we could make this into a groundhog. The meatloaf could look like a groundhog. <laughs> so we did that. And, you know, does set you know, kind of include vegetables or whatever. We put carrots and potatoes and turnips around like a platter of this groundhog. Anyway, so um, can I say one thing I remember? So we had a, what do you call that, um, the board that we were writing on? Yeah, if you, the question was, if you wanted to invite a friend to church, what would that church look like? So there were all kinds of things up there. People writing, you know, could go up and write. So, so you know, obviously some of them were like good coffee, more than donuts to eat. And then it got so, we just had so much fun. Uh, no apples in the vending machines. <laughs> because they would get mushy, right? Another one was um, dogs or cats that wandered in <laughs> would have to be spayed or neutered. <laughs> so anyway, we had, a, we had a really good time doing all those. So. All right. So that's, uh, that's what happened on the 2nd of February. Did, just so you know, you guys, did you know that, that today's date, 20, the 20th birthday has come, um, 0202-2020 is actually a, a palindrome. Did you know that? That today's date is the same forward as it is backward? That's kind of cool, right? Here's another, this will blow your mind. This is the 33rd day of the year today. Know how many days are left this year? 333. Because it's leap year, right? 
Anyway, it's kind of crazy. Anyway. So, um, in those early days, uh, Reese made a movie <laughs> about scum. And uh, I'm going to show it to you right now. So, if we could turn the lights down and turn your attention to the uh, screen, you'll see the, the, the movie that Reese Roper made about scum of the earth. How are you? It's your grandma. And I'm here to show you a slideshow about my trip to Denver. Here, look, here's John Denver. And uh, here's your Uncle Willis and your Aunt Thelma. And here is a Denver omelet. And also right here, oh, look at this. This young man was so nice to me. He was the scum of the earth. We are building a religion, we are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. To resist it is useless, it is useless to resist it. His cigarette is burning, but he never seems to ash. He is grooming his poodle, he is living comfort eagle. You can meet at his location, but you'd better come with cash. Now his hat is on backwards, he can show you his tattoos. He is in the music business, he is calling you. This is the capital of Colorado in Denver. What's ironic is that right across the street from this 24 karat gold plated dome is some of the most brutal poverty in Denver. There's an entire world there that needs God's love. The thrill is gone. The thrill is gone. For the most part, the Christian church has ignored their duty to serve and to love the poor with the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we started Scum of the Earth Church. To accept the unacceptable. To love those who have been ostracized by the rest of the world.
Now for the news in review. In the year of our Lord, to at at at, Mr. Michael Sayers began a church in his living room. Asking the question of young people, what would you do if you made a church? The young people gathered around him, flocking if you will, asking the same questions, maybe to answer them. But Michael Sayers made one grave error. He asked for his help, a rabble rouser. Oh, Max! Dag nubbit! Et tu brute? Hailing from the washed-up ska band Fiverr and Frenzy, this troublemaker could not be stopped. Ha ha! <laughs> Michael Sears, we feel your pain. Better luck next time, buddy! Actually, things are going great. Mike and I are learning what it's like to pastor an inner-city church. Here's our building. Nice! Well, not exactly. We're not a cult, if that's what you're thinking. We baptize you right now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Legions! Legions! Oh, look at all the change I found, guys! Pancakes. <laughs> Scum of the Earth is um, probably one of the closer examples of what the church looked like to me, at least. When I, when I think of the church, just a community of believers um, coming together as they are and not putting on any fake faces. Um, it's just a great place to meet, meet other Christians and just fellowship with people who might not fit in in other churches. We're pretty packed tonight. Um, how many people this is your first time here tonight? Awesome. <laughs> Scum of the earth means that everyone is welcome here. Always. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing. was strong but you needed proof you saw her bathing on the roof her beauty 
She tied you to her kitchen chair And she broke your throne and she cut your hair And from your lips she drew the hallelujah I know you're wondering, why in the world would anyone name their church Scum of the Earth? To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13. Yeah, so not too long after uh, we began. That building actually wasn't our first building. Um, that was the second building we were in, the Tollgate. It was at Ash and Colfax. Um, the first building we were in was kind of a coffee shop that was a old house that was converted. Um, oh, is this queued up? Okay, let's let's let's. Okay. Uh, in those early days, we got a little a little press on late night uh, television. Go ahead, you can play that. <laughs> oh no 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 no! Go back to the beginning. No, go back. The first twenty five seconds we want to do. No. Yeah. So hit the back button. Rewind. <laughs> Okay, there we go. I never heard of this church. This is the Carnes Yoda wedding. It says, Miss Carnes is a graduate of Snyder High School and employed at the Scum of the Earth Church. I'm not familiar with the Scum of the Earth Church. Okay, you, that's, if you didn't know it, we were on The Tonight Show. Made fun of by Jay Leno. I guess that's kind of cool, right? Um, but uh, the first uh, place.
place that we met, I've got a couple photographs, if Ben can put them up. Um, it was like a coffee house. It was a, it was, it's a regular house. You can still see it. It's over on Marion Street, uh, right by Colfax. So if you are going uh, west on Colfax and you take a right to go north on Marion, then it's the first house on your right-hand side after the building on the corner, uh, just across the street from the post office. It was the Prodigal Coffee House at the time. And there uh, you can see uh, Reese uh, preaching there in front of uh, the screen that we had and the wall. I think we used an overhead projector at that point to put uh, words up on, on the screen. And it was just the living room. I mean, I mean, it was, you know, half as big as, as this platform up here. And, and so we were there from uh, early 2000 uh, until September of 2001 when we moved to the toll gate. We moved to the toll gate right before uh, the Twin Towers were hit. And uh, our first service in that toll gate actually was a prayer service. We didn't even have church. We just had a prayer service uh, one night of the week before we even got going. So... That's, uh, those are some, some photos of, of the old Prodigal Coffee House, and then we had uh, the Tollgate for a while. Uh, in 2004, we moved from the Tollgate to Church in the City, which no longer exists over there. It's uh, uh, the corner of Ash and, no, corner of Colfax and uh, Josephine, or, yeah, yeah, right there where the big, Recreation Center is right now. There's no Safeway grocery store there. Um, so that's uh, what we did. So, okay, cool. I like that. Thank you. So, yeah, so I remember um, in the early days, we were, <laughs> Mary and I were, were trying to figure out. Hi, Junie. <laughs> We love the kids. Okay. That's right. Let it go, man. So anyway, um, yeah, so, so we got going. What happened was, is so we, we started meeting in February of uh, 2000, and it took us about a month or so to kind of figure out what we are going to do. And then I think sometime like the end of March, beginning of April, we had our first service, in the Prodigal Coffee House. And I don't know, there were a couple dozen people there, I think, uh, maybe less. Uh, Deva led worship basically sitting on the floor with her guitar in her lap. Um, I didn't know whether to stand up or sit down for the talk. Um, and it was one of those deals where it was just so cool, you know, all of a sudden, we opened up, and these people showed up, and we we praised Jesus, and I and I and I talked about the gospel, and I was so excited, and um, I was so excited. It felt like back when uh, when I come to Christ, back as a teenager during the Jesus Movement days in the 1970s. And so, Reese and I got together uh, the next week, I think on a Wednesday, we got together, and I was so happy to talk to him about how things had gone on Sunday. 
I'll never forget this. <laughs> and I said, I said, so Reese, wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that cool? Man, it was so wonderful. And he goes, what happened to you? I go, what do you mean what happened to me? He goes, what happened to you? He goes, you started talking like you were speaking at my mom's church. Like, what happened to you? Who was that guy? I'm going, uh, 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 I, I don't know. I just was trying to present the gospel. He goes, he goes, Mike, we don't want that. He goes, just talk to us like you talk to us when we're sitting across the table for you at a coffee shop or at your house. Like, I don't know who that guy was, but don't bring him back to, to scum. I'm going, oh, man. I mean, I felt, I felt so deflated. I'm going, oh, my gosh. Lord, I, I must, somewhere along the road, I must have frozen. I must have calcified. Maybe it was the Presbyterian Church. Maybe it was seminary. I'm going, but you got to help me, Lord, because... I, I don't want to be an impediment to your gospel, which is the most exciting thing in the world. And I remember the words of uh, the founder of Young Life at that point, who always said, it's a sin to bore somebody with the gospel. It's a sin to bore people with the gospel because the gospel is the most exciting thing on the earth. It's God come down to save his people. And if you make it boring, you're not doing it right. And so um, I remember just being really put in a position of, uh, of humility at that point. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Mary to talk for a minute about what it was like in those early days looking around that room full of 20-somethings in our living room and what you thought about as we embarked on this new uh, venture. Well, we had a ton of fun, you can probably tell. Um, but as I'm sitting there, and I always had to sit on the floor in the hallway, because the living room was really pretty full, and we have one of those pit sofas, and the girls were all cuddled in there in the corners like little kittens. You know, they were all laying, everyone's laying on each other, and so it was, it was really uh, fun uh, that it was in our living room. Um, but I was sitting <laughs> kind of in the hallway because I still had kids that had to go to bed, like to make sure that they were actually <laughs> not, yeah, they were getting ready for bed or whatever. But as I'm looking around the room, I'm sitting there, and for some reason, God was so good. He gave me all kinds of grace. I wasn't worried about money because <laughs> Mike was not going to be getting a salary, right? He had to, um, to get um, support. So that was an issue. Um, but I felt like God was really good in terms of, <clears throat> I didn't even, I hardly thought about that, I guess. I just thought, well, this, if God's in this, it's going to be, it's, we're going to be fine. The one thing, though, that I was a little nervous about as I looked out at all those 20-year-olds was, they're going to decide our health insurance? I don't think so. <laughs> they're all 20 and young, and they're not going to understand that we're getting older or what. You know, we have four kids, too. So um, so I prayed. I started praying one of those nights that God would send older people 
to come and join in. And, you know, young people need old people. Old people need young people. Um, that's, that's a good, healthy thing. And lo and behold, we started getting quite a few older people, like our age, 45, <laughs> coming around. So that was, at one point, we had so many old, older people, we would get together once a month and have dinner, move it around our houses, and, and be able to talk, you know, about scum and what's going on and what we see and what we'd like. So anyway, that was a, it was a blessing to have that in our home. Yeah, and I think I just want to end by, by saying um, starting Scum of the Earth was a risk. It, it was a big risk. Um, I got fired from the church where I was, the singles pastor. New pastor came in and didn't like me much and wanted to let me go. And uh, that's uh, kind of what precipitated Scum of the Earth. I, I thought at that point, um, I'd go and I'd look for the highest paying job within the will of God somewhere, some mega church. And I actually got offers um, from other churches to come and do their singles ministry or to do something else. Uh, some of them were, you know, huge. Uh, one was in Washington, D.C., where the singles group, just the singles group, would have been like 350 people. Another one uh, was a, a church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that needed uh, someone... Uh, with my capabilities and was going to hire me and I, I just didn't know what to do and I remember going to talk to one of my seminary professors and uh, I'm going to close with this because this, this, this slayed me. So I sit in there telling them this is what I got going and, but you know there's this group of skater punks in Capitol Hill and God's starting something there with this Bible study and I know that Good things are happening, but I don't see how I could stay with it because I've got a wife and four children and a mortgage. And, and, I, and so Dr. Means looked at me and he started telling me the story. He said, Mike, you know, when I go to Africa to work with the medical missions team, we go inoculate babies in these little grass huts, in these little villages. And he goes, well, I'm coming back on the plane to Africa. He says, I know that nobody is going back there to take my place. But when I took the job with the seminary, he goes, if, if I hadn't have taken that job, they would have hired somebody else, maybe somebody better than me, would have written more books. He said, you know, when I... Uh, go to the Ukraine and I teach at the little tiny seminary there. Little one room kind of steel roofed building. And I teach those young Ukrainian guys who want to be pastors and spread the gospel in Russia. He says, when I come back in the plane, I know nobody's going back there to take my place. Then he just looked at me. It was one of those long, awkward silences. And I had experienced those long, awkward pauses in the past in my salesman days. And I know that the first person to speak usually is the one who's going to lose. And 
I thought to myself, honestly, this is what I thought. I can say this at scum. Can't say it at other churches. I thought, damn you. I know exactly what you're saying. You're saying that if I go to one of these other churches, that, that, that if I didn't take their jobs, that surely somebody else would come, maybe better than me, and fill that position, and that church would go on just fine. But if I leave these skater punks in Capitol Hill, there's nobody going back there to take my place. And I mean, I thought, I felt like the Holy Spirit was painting me into a corner, and like there was no way out. It was like, this is the way that you should go. And I'm thinking, Jesus, how is this going to happen? And this is what happened. My brothers came to me and they said, Mike, if you keep working with those skater punks in Capitol Hill, we'll help you out financially. My best friend came to me and said, Mike, don't leave that Five Iron Frenzy Bible study. You got to keep that going. Even if the church is firing you, you got to keep that going. I will send you money. I will make sure you get paid. My friend Steve Garcia, who had just started Celebration Community Church a year and a half before, came to me and said, Our leadership team got together, Mike. And they said, We know how hard it is to start something. So we're going to give you $1,000 a month from our offering to keep you and your family afloat if you agree to try and start something with this group, this Five Iron Frenzy Bible study, and do the church thing. And so all of a sudden I have this part-time salary and a job description that's just in my head. Another lady uh, that I knew from Corona said, Mike, it's not that hard to start a ministry. I go, what are you talking about, Marjan? Sure it is. She goes, no, it's not, Mike. All you need is a newsletter and a logo. <laughs> Just send out the letters and see what God does. And so I, I sent my first support letter out. People responded. And I'm telling you that for the last 20 years, God has supported Mary and me and our family so that we could do scum of the earth for 19 of those years and then steel toaster for the last year. I just want to end with that. God demands us to take a risk sometime so we can do what he wants to do. So that's the story of scum. That's how we started. Thanks for your kind attention. A question? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, yeah, that's what it said. Your story ain't over. My, okay. Your story ain't over. I don't want to do this because I'm not used to talking to anybody. A couple of you guys have met me. Fewer of you have heard my story. Uh, I'm Gary. I'm 55 years old, and I've spent 33 years of my life incarcerated. Three months ago when I got to the halfway house over here in Denver, I was a ten and a half year Christian, ten and a half years sober. You guys are Christians, right? With scum of the earth. 
Paul paid a price. The apostles paid a price. You guys paid a price? Two of my friends were killed for being white Christians a few years ago. Of my ten and a half years I just served, what's that, 4,000 days? I lived everyone in danger for being a white Christian, for being a sober white Christian in maximum security federal institutions all over the United States. Most of the time I was alone. I didn't have any Christian support. I didn't have anything but fear in God. And boy, did he shape and mold me over those ten and a half years. And he grew my faith. I walked out of this halfway house. I don't know Denver. I don't have any family friends. I don't have anything. Three years parole, 800,000 restitution, 55 years old, health problems. But I knew I needed a church. Who would want me? Who would accept me? I didn't know how to work a phone, but I figured it out and I got on there. Scum of the earth, huh? Wow. They might let me go to that one. My first time down here, I got lost three times on the bus on a four-hour pass. I walked in the door. I missed the service. I was here time to eat. They welcomed me. Guess what? Second time, same thing happened. That man's been carrying me back and forth ever since. That's my buddy. Okay. I'm out here, and I'm building a new life. This is my church. The story ain't over because somebody else is going to come along, too. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Praise God. Thank you, Gary. Okay, we're going um, to remember the Lord right now and what he's done for us in his death and resurrection by taking communion. Don't really know how we're doing it uh, today. We're passing it around, I think, right? Okay. And I don't know where that starts, but just take some of... Oh, thank... Oh, there it is. Okay. So... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he said, take this, here, push that in there, there we go. Take this and eat this. This is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins my blood shed for you. When you drink this, remember me. And so what we do is what Christians have done for a couple thousand years. Is we're going to take some of the bread, we're going to break it off, we're going to dip it into the cup, and we're going to eat it. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us to set us free. What Jesus did to make this kind of church happen. There's also some uh, gluten-free crackers in this bowl as well. So just take this and eat, and then Nat is going 
to lead us in worship. I think we just let we just pass it around. They just do it themselves. No, no, just pass it.